and so thank you all so much for coming out on this Mother's Day. In fact, uh, now that the kiddos are gone, this is uh, New Hope After Hours. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to back it up a verse in Song of Songs chapter 8. This is what she wrote before she uh, asked to be placed like a seal over his heart. She said, under the apple tree, I roused you. There your mother conceived you, and it was also there in labor that she gave birth to you. There is something so powerful and significant about motherhood. Beauty in pain. Obviously, I've never experienced childbirth, so I can't explain it, but I know that with our three kiddos, you know, there was such pain and agony for a long, enduring season that my wife thought would never end. But then, yeah, Nate was an all-nighter. He's almost a full-day birth, her first. Um, no, way too late for an epidural. No, no, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. Um, but there's something beautiful about the moment that she got to hold him. All that pain seemed to just wash away. And there's just something amazing about that. And I believe there's something so spiritually significant about that verse, way beyond just the love between a man and a woman. Because if you recall correctly, our story began in a garden, right? Just like that apple tree that we found uh, the Song of Song um, verse about. It started in a garden. That's where pain first tortured the heart of God. You know, we don't often think about that. We don't think about it from God's perspective. It wasn't just the first time that we were created and, and you know, uh, caved into temptation and sinned against God. It was the first time that God had ever been sinned against now, I know that all of your beautiful children could never do any wrong, right, ladies? But, um, <laughs> in fact, I, I believe that you've never said phrases like this, have you? I'm so bored. I wish I had something to do. <sighs> Thanks for letting me sleep in, kids. If you make a mess in the kitchen, please let me know so I can clean it up. Raising kids is so easy. I just love driving around all day. Oh, I never have to repeat myself. They always listen so carefully. Oh, look, an empty box of cereal. Love it. Just wipe it on your sleeve. It's pretty cold, but you don't need a coat. Oh, you don't have to push in your chair. Don't make your bed. You're just gonna sleep in it again later. I think I'll skip the coffee today. You know, these throw pillows look way better on the floor. I'm really not that busy. Well, you haven't showered in three days, but I think you smell great. We do have food at home, but let's just go out to eat. Just brush your teeth whenever you feel like it. Here, take my phone charger and go put it in your room. Oh, just leave your dirty dishes on the counter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's all pull on our phones. Youth sports are so cheap. Braces are so cheap. School fees are so cheap. Hey, can you come crawl in bed with me around 2 a.m.? Thanks. Okay, I just spent two hours making dinner, but if you don't like it, that's fine. Just let me know and I'll make you something else. Don't even bother looking for that. I'm sure it's lost and gone forever. Can somebody please throw something at my head? I mean, I can keep track of every single one of your things. I get a ton of sleep. I get a ton of gratitude from my children. I get a ton of unsolicited help with the housework. Oh, you don't have to hurry up. We're gonna be right on time. Can someone please throw something at the TV? Thanks for doing the laundry, everyone. 
I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Can you use your outside voice? Fight, fight, fight! The floor of this vehicle is so clean, I can't believe it. Oh, good. Another trip to the grocery store today. Let's go. Hey, I'm gonna hop in the shower. Does somebody wanna come use the bathroom while I'm in here? We're so blessed by you all. Yeah, I'm sure you've never said any of these things, right? <laughs> so incredible. But the beautiful thing about this chaos and pain and turmoil is that I, I remember, especially, I was just, we were just reminiscing the other day, Becky and I, you know, it's like, man, I kind of miss, there, we're at 17, 16, 15, and I kind of miss the, the three-year-olds. You're getting there. You're getting, I know, you're getting there. I go by the year, not by the month. Okay, 17, 15, 14, soon to be 16, 15. Anyways, anyways, they never correct you publicly, do they? Never embarrass you. <laughs> but we, we miss the little toddler years at three or four where they would be just horrendous all day long. Like seriously, my hand was tired of spanking them, you know? It's like seriously, when did this again? Like, you know? But then they're like, I love you, and they give you that big snotty hug and kiss, and just, it all goes away, you know? Yeah, we don't want those snotty hugs or kisses anymore. It's just a little awkward these days, but. <laughs> but what I love about that, that verse in Song of Songs is it's such beautiful and painful, and whatever things happened under that tree, but it's, it's the same with, with God. It all started in the, in the garden. That's where pain and turmoil pierced his heart. It was on the tree that he hung and bled for our sins. But it's also at a tree where we are restored once again. You will get to eat from the tree of life, according to the book of the Re Revelation. You're going to get to eat from that tree once again. And so God brings it all full circle, and he makes everything right. In fact, he declares at the end, he makes all things new. Now, motherhood is a, I don't have to tell you all, and I'm not speaking from experience, obviously, so take everything I say with a grain of salt, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, as, as you've seen. We, we do that here at New Hope. Keep me, keep me honest, I like that. Um, <laughs> You know, because whether you're a biological or spiritual mother, or both, because if you're a biological mother, you're absolutely a spiritual mother, but, you know, you've got some spiritual children as well. Whatever, whatever your scenario may look like, raising children is no easy task. It's a 24, 7, 365 job, and it doesn't end when they turn 18, which someone reminded me when I was like, man, we're going to be empty nesters young, and then Tammy's like, I'm bringing all my kids back home, and I'm like, Ah, but what about my music room? And what about my office? And, you know, you mean they come back? All my hopes and dreams just popped in an instant, you know? <laughs> but no, I'm sure it's a time of rejoicing. You probably miss it. So it's, you know, oh, it's just life. So for your many sleepless nights, disciplines you've got to enforce over and over and over again, tears you've shed, prayers you've prayed, failures, successes, and everything in between, we are grateful for you. We are grateful, mothers, for your perseverance for your compassion, for your enduring hope, for your unfailing love. I mean, just you name it. We're blessed to have you all here with us. Um, because there in the garden, in the beginning, God decided that it wasn't good for man to be alone, right? And I'm sure some of you ladies can probably amen that. Um, because when, when us guys are left on our own, 
Um, we have a tendency to come up with some creative ideas that don't always end well, right? badly in so many ways. I mean, it changed on front of your face that high, and then it just, oh, the way it ended was even worse. Yeah, it's not good for us to be alone. We, we, we need you ladies in our lives. We need it. Um, it's a beautiful thing that happened, though. God created, again, in the garden. There was pain and torture. The first surgery took place, right? Adam gave up a rib, and you can throw tomatoes if you want, but God also did the first human cloning. He created Eve from Adam's rib. She was created with the purpose of living life side by side as one with Adam. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and it's a beautiful thing. I don't know why our society keeps wanting to throw this away. In the beginning, God created them male and female. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And then he brought them together in verse 24, and he said, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Yes. So you ladies here at New Hope, we're not going to call you birthing people. You are so much more than a birthing person. And last time I checked, it takes a sperm and an egg, and women, they're not good at producing sperm. I tried. I'm not good at producing eggs. So let's just let biology... Let's just let biology happen the old-fashioned, natural way, okay? You are mothers! And there is so much more to motherhood than just shoving out a kid. Just so much more to motherhood. <laughs> Sorry, but Becky's not in the room. She's not here to keep me grounded, so y'all are in trouble. <laughs> now, there are plenty of teachings available out there about what it means to have a Christian home, about what a Christian household should look like, right? Um, there's plenty of teachings out there. In fact, you may have heard and firmly hold to this teaching that we're going to go over here about marriage and about the role of the wife in that relationship and the role of a mom then once you have children. You know, there's teachings about this, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 5. So if you want to get ahead of me, you can turn there. Um, in the different translations of the Bible, there's different uh, headings for this. In the NIV, the heading is Instructions for Christian Households. In the New Living Translation, the heading is, and I love this one, Spirit-Guided Relationships. Mm, husbands and wives. Wives and husbands, rather. And in the Passion Translation, the heading is simply Loving Relationships. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, it starts with husband and wife because that's where it started in the beginning in the garden, right? God the Father brought Eve in that first wedding ceremony. He, that's why we do the, the father giving of the bride, because God the Father brought Eve 
and uh, presented her to Adam, and they came together as one flesh. And it's not just a sexual thing. This is a two lives merging together as one. That's why usually we do a lot of premarital counseling, because that is, we want to give you a heads up, because that is a mess. <laughs> that is a mess when two lives try to come together as one. But God's word has the solution for all of it. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5 doesn't just talk about husbands and wives. It talks about fathers and mothers and their children. It talks about the role of slave and master, because that was a thing in their culture. But we can take those same principles and apply it to um, your employer-employee relationships. You know, I, I like to apply it there because you're pretty much renting out your body for money, right? No matter how you look at it, you're slaving yourself away. That's why you might even say that about your workplace. So these topics, there's a vast variety of topics included. And when we look specifically at women and motherhood, um, beginning with becoming a wife, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 through, through 24 says this. And you've, this is usually where you hear it te taught, right? So don't, don't yell at me yet. Hold on. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Right? We're king of the house. What we say goes. Right? Oh, yeah, Tim Allen here. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is usually how you hear it taught, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. This is, this is it. This is how Christian households are supposed to run. Rarely do they ever do what I just did in Song of Songs chapter 8. Now, you must have some good stuff with Song of Songs, right? Are men getting aroused and it's getting, you're getting it on, you children? I mean, there's good stuff in the Bible, right? Back it up to verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We don't want to think about that. No, no wives submit to us. No, you, you, when you come together as one, in every area of life, there has to be this mutual submission. This, and the, so who submits? <laughs> you decide, right? You decide. It's, it's two coming together as one. And that means when there's conflict, when you say left and you say right, you got to figure out some middle ground. Whether it's in these occasions it's left and on these occasions it's right, or whether it's just always middle of the road, you've got to work together, come up with a game plan, because you're on the same team. I know most of us here this morning have experienced this thing that... I mean, Moses created it, and we still have it in our culture today, called divorce, and it is a messy thing. When you put two things together and merge them together as one, it just doesn't separate easily or cleanly, does it? A lot of pain. That's why God says, he doesn't say he hates people who divorce, he says, I hate divorce. Why does he hate divorce? Because what it does to people, it hurts. It hurts. Nobody walks away from that happy and just glad that everything happened. There's always a degree of pain in it. Mutual submission, working together in cooperation as one flesh, just like Jesus and the church. He's king of kings and lord of lords, but he doesn't force his will upon us. And so if a husband is being a true husband, as Christ loved the church, he ought to be treating his queen like Jesus treats the church. Yeah, he puts up with a lot, right? I'm going to say that because Becky's not here to yell at me, but <laughs> But he, he loves her, and he cares for her. He gave his life for her, doing everything he could to present her without spot or blemish, right? And the funny thing is, then, Paul teaches us that husbands are supposed to uh, present their wives without spot or blemish. 
Mutual submission. Moms play a huge role in making this kind of unity happen. It's not just about husband and wife. It's about children. It's about workplaces. So often, mom is the peacemaker in the family. She is the one that brings everybody together in unity so that we're all kind of, okay, okay, you want the toy and you want the toy. Let's figure this out. Let's mutually submit to each other. You play it for this time. When you hear the digger go off, you play it for, for this time. You, know, you come up with some kind of role in that. But what happens whenever we, in every relationship, choose to view every relationship as Christ's, and we choose to mutually submit to one another, we become, last week, unstoppable, right? Unstoppable. Because, by the way, that is the way the body of Christ operates. We're all different parts. We're all equally important. We all have to submit to one another to make this thing work correctly, right? If my left foot just always wants to go left and my right foot just always wants to go right, it isn't going to be pretty, is it? I'm not going to get anywhere. My body's divided. It's so important to come together in unity. And that can only happen through mutual submission. But women who are created in the very image of God are so key and critical to making that happen. They have always been, from the very beginning, a very important, critical role in fulfilling God's will and God's purposes on the face of the earth, from the very beginning. Um, and so we see here that in a world culture, as we see throughout the Old Testament, and even today in, in places across the world, it was written and it was lived out in a world culture where women were viewed as basically property. You know, um, your children were given away in marriage, and it's usually some kind of like property transaction, you know, it's, it's really discouraging the way that women were viewed. But in that same world culture, God chose to exalt women to roles of leadership. Listen to all these different prophets that are named in the Bible. They were chosen to be roles of prophetesses. In fact, the Bible doesn't even call them that all the time. Usually it's prophet, because... Male or female, you're a prophet. You're speaking on behalf of God. doesn't matter what your gender is. You're speaking on behalf of God. You're a prophet. That's what that role is. They're chosen to speak on God's behalf. We know about Moses and Aaron, right? But what about their sister Miriam? She led, she actually led the nation of Israel in worship right after the Red Sea swept back over the Egyptian army. But she was a prophet. She spoke on behalf of God. As well as Deborah, we all know her. She served as a judge. She actually led over the entire nation of Israel during the time of Judges. Um, and she was a prophetess as well, or a prophet. She spoke on God's behalf over and over and over again. We have Hoda. Hoda's a pretty awesome woman. I don't know if you're familiar with her in the Bible or not, but here's a little bit of a backstory of what happened. Um, no, I'll skip it for the time being. Yeah. Noadiah. Anna, she was the one who recognized baby Jesus as the Messiah, right? Uh, in Isaiah 8.3, there's an unnamed prophet, and it just goes on and on. So many women were chosen to speak on God's behalf, and that was no light matter. Leading people in the will and the purposes of God. And there are bold and courageous women all through the pages of scriptures. Um, there were these two, and forgive my pronunciation, but Shipra and Puah. They were Hebrew midwives during the time bondage and they refused to obey their earthly king when he asked them to abort all male children which they viewed as direct contradiction to God's will in Exodus chapter 1 verse 15 to 17 it says the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose name were Sephra and Pua when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool if you see that the baby's a boy kill him we know that happened in the days of Jesus. Herod had all males, two years old and younger, killed, right? 
trying to stop the purposes of God. And uh, I love the way that these, these, these pretty courageous women handled it. And of course he said, if it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. They didn't do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. And of course we know that uh, Moses was, you know, became the leader as a result. Um, I don't know how, was it, how long was it? Was it three years, three months? I can't remember how long Moses was kept quiet so that they didn't know that he, you know, was around. Um, but I love what the, the midwives, the way they responded to the king when the king's like, hey, what are all these boys being born for? I thought I told you to kill them. They're like, well, our women, they ain't like your women. They're already done by the time we get there. <laughs> you know, these are some tough girls. You know, they're not like your dainty things, that just whatever, fight it. So it's, it's just hilarious. They were bold women. Of course, we know Rahab. She was a prostitute who was living in Jericho. She wasn't even one of God's people. But she chose to protect the Israeli spies that came into Jericho to see what they were up against. And then she chose to follow the God of Israel. She repented. She followed him after the city walls came crashing down. God redeemed her life. She was given the honor of being in the lineage of King David and even Jesus himself. Rahab, the prostitute who wasn't even Jewish, but because she gave her life to the Lord, God was able to do something beautiful. He made a namesake for her. Blood lineages in those cultures were never passed down through the women. It was always the men and their firstborn. But God chose, if you read you know, the lineage of Jesus, Rahab to be a part of that. Um, we know that when, this is the cool thing, when Deborah was leading the nation of Israel, she sent Barak and 10,000 men to defeat this guy named Sisera. He was the commander of the army of Hazor, who were Israel, God people's enemy. He refused to go, this mighty man who was given 10,000 men, he refused to go unless Deborah would go with him. You know, I don't know if you guys ever feel that way. I don't know. Anyway, she was obviously a strong leader, strong woman. So she agreed that she would go with him. But she said this, and this is a quote from the scriptures, because of the course you are taking, the honor won't be yours. The Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. God, the Lord, would honor a woman instead of this man leading 10,000 men because he needed Deborah. And so uh, what ended up happening is really interesting. All of Sisera's troops, they were put to death by the sword. He was the only one that still remained. I mean, the, the army of Israel just destroyed them because they were doing what the Lord was calling them to do. So Jael went out to meet with Sisera. That's the name of the woman who received the honor of the Lord. She went out to meet him, and she hid him within her tent. She's like, here, I'll keep you safe. I'll stay at the, the end. You just, you know, just take a nap. So after he fell asleep, she goes out, she grabs a tent peg, and she drove it through his head as he slept. And she received the honor of defeating this mighty man, right? Whew. God's word boasts and praises of amazing women with an entrepreneurial spirit. This isn't encouraged in most cultures. Praise God it is in America still, right? Who can multitask well. Women who can manage both her family affairs and also her business well. And of course I'm referring to the Proverbs 31 woman that most of y'all are unfortunately compared to. And it was just this guy came up with a, uh, a dream for his daughter, right? But it says that she stays up late and she rises early. She works hard. She even dabbles in real estate, buying land and establishing as a vineyard. 
Her children arise and call her blessed. And her husband also praises her. And we've got some women that meet that criteria in Proverbs 31. I mean, just juggle your households well. You manage the finances and you got like side gigs. And it's just, it's amazing, you know, how you can just manage everything well and are called blessed as a result. Paul, he sent a letter to the Roman church uh, from prison. And he entrusted it to a woman named Phoebe, who was a, I'm sorry, yes. I love that quote from Proverbs. She is clothed in strength and dignity. Dignity, d d d dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. I think some ladies here need to laugh some more, right? Whenever the enemy tries to destroy your family, just give a good hearty laugh. He's not going to succeed, right? Darkness may last for the night, but joy's coming in the morning. The, the, the Lord has the last word over your family affairs, right? And as long as you've given them into his hands, it's going to end well. But Phoebe was a deacon in the church. And she was asked to go there and to read this letter that Paul had wrote. And in fact, Paul said that when she goes to that church, that they were to serve any needs that might arise in her life. And in chapter 16 of this letter, he sends his personal greetings to many individuals who are significant in the move of the Spirit during that day and planting and sustaining churches and just seeing people get saved and Spirit-filled and healed and delivered. And in that letter, he called out many women by name. Many, many women. I'm not going to read them for time's sake. He even makes mention of Rufus's mother, who he said was a spiritual mother to himself. And of course, um, the, the letters of the New Testament were not just written to the men of the churches. They were written to the brothers and sisters in that church. All one family, all working together. I mean, just from cover to cover to cover to cover to cover to cover to cover of whatever book, whatever letter you find in the scriptures... God always valued women's lives highly. He bestowed honor upon them. He, he chose them to accomplish amazing tasks. And in fact, um, the Assemblies of God, of course, has a long history um, from our roots, from our beginnings. You know, we were not only equipping, but we were also commissioning women in roles all through the church, all roles of the church. You know, we were one of the few, we're not a denomination, we're a, a, um, a, a cooperative fellowship. Because that's what God's word says we're supposed to do. It's mutual submission. You cooperate with one another. Uh, they don't say what happens. It's a mutual cooperative fellowship. But that Pentecostal revival that started the Assemblies of God, it started in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. Any L.A. girls in here? We've got a California girl at least, right? Woo! Two. 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 Yes, Cheryl as well, right? You came from Cali. Cali. You got, you got a lot of Cali girls in here. Who would have thought that in redneck rural Pennsylvania? Wow. How can I forget? Yeah. Love it. Becky, Becky spent some time in California, didn't she? Yeah. So, you know, history is, yeah, it's awesome to get to know each other better. But at that revival that began on Azusa Street back in 1906, it blew me away that, that, the group of individuals, the elders who oversaw that mission, there were 12 of them, six of them were women. That was unheard of during those times. Women didn't even have the right to vote in this country yet. And then the church was choosing women to oversee and to lead the work of God. It's amazing. God always. In fact, during a time of severe segregation, right, God brought, this is a group of people from Azusa Street. You got people from every age, every gender, every race, and they're just coming together because they're hungry for God. They heard that God will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. They heard that God will bring healing. And they said, God, we're not seeing it happen. 
It's right here in your word. So let it be in these days. And oh man, does God respond to that cry. Huge movement. I mean, ministry was happening 24-7 in that place. They, they didn't even stop and take time for tithes and offerings. They just had a box in the back. They were like, give whatever you want to give. I mean, it was just amazing. Just so that the spirit could move. They didn't have instruments. They would just sing in the spirit. They would just sing spontaneous songs, as the psalm says all the time. You know, sing the Lord in a new song. It was just amazing. So many deliverances and healings were taking place. And as a result, the Assemblies of God was sort of born out of that, that movement, that revival. And I believe we're, we're past our due point. It was supposed to happen 100 years later. We're, we're past that. So it's going to start happening again, right? Revival sweeping this place. Revival. But... There's just so many, many amazing men and women, and I want to talk about some of these women, but I won't for time's sake today. So many amazing women in the Bible, not only in the scriptures, but also modern day, that did mighty, I mean, Amy Simple McPherson, I mean, talk about controversial woman who did some mighty, mighty, mighty acts for God by the power of God. I just love it. So many to talk to. There's just not enough time this morning to even mention them. So we're going to end on two, and I'm going to end this quickly. We're going to focus on two women, Lois, Louise, depending on how you want to pronounce it, and Eunice. And this comes from a letter written from Paul to Timothy. Here we see the power of generational, ha, they're not here this morning. Yeah, they are, Mary is at least. And I didn't mean to leave anyone else out here, but this is the only picture I could find scraping the web of generations. There are so many generational blessings that mothers bestow on their children and their grandchildren. And now their great-grandchildren, Right? powerful moves and that's what we're speaking of here when we look at second timothy chapter 1 verses 5 through 14 paul wrote to timothy he said i'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived faith without works is what dead <laughs> yeah so that means faith with works it's alive it's a living thing it first lived faith lived in your grandmother lewis or Louise, Lewis, I'm going to say Lois. Lois, I'll say Lois, all right. That's what I hear most often, survey says. And then in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded that it now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Man, just like that last song. Be a flame inside of us. We want to fan into flame the fire of God within us. It is in you, which he's writing to Timothy, by the laying on of hands. For the Spirit of God gave us, that he gave us does not make us timid, but rather it gives us power, it gives us love, and it gives us self-discipline. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord and even of me, his prisoner. See, he was writing this from jail. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Because he has saved us. And he has called us to a holy life. And holy just means set apart. Holy means set apart. That's all that it means. Don't make it a cookie cutter of what a life is supposed to look like. You're supposed to look like you. You're supposed to live out your uniquely divine created life. Holy just means that you've taken your life and said, Lord, it's yours, all of it. That's how you become holy. In fact, he goes on and he says that he called us to live a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. 
This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus even before the beginning of time. Mothers, isn't that refreshing? God knew your child. He knew your child's path even before you were born. He knew them. They are your children. You've been given stewardship in their lives, but they're ultimately his children, right? Takes some of the pressure off. But now this grace has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death, who has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering the way that I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. God is able to guard what you entrust to him until that day. Until your child returns home. Entrust them to the Lord to guard, to protect them, and he'll return them. It's a powerful statement. In verse 13 he says, What you've heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know, of all the mighty things that you read throughout the pages of the scriptures, all the miracles and the signs and the wonders that we see happen, I firmly believe that nothing compares to the miracle and the impact of passing on your faith to your children. A mother passing on her faith to her children, to her grandchildren, to her great-grandchildren. If you're blessed with long life, to your great-great-grandchildren. So my grandmother on my Cromer side you know, has been blessed to see that. Just blessed to pass on that blessing of their living faith. In the case of Timothy, that faith was imparted to Lois, to her daughter Eunice, and then from both. I believe he got double-barreled on this one. I don't think it was just... It was just um, uh, yeah, Eunice that passed on her faith, but rather Lois and Eunice passing on their living faith to Timothy. Because of that, he was a mighty leader in the church at a very young age, what he was able to do. I'm convinced that there is little more that frightens the devil than a praying mama or a grandma or a great-grandma. It's a powerful thing. When she starts praying, I think the devil starts shaking, you know? Their faith was a good deposit that served as a firm foundation for God to build Timothy's life upon. It began as a, a journey for him to become a young leader in the church. And I'm sure there were times when Lois and Eunice probably felt like failures. There were probably days when they were concerned about what direction Timothy's life was going to head and what the boy was doing. Like, boy, what's wrong with you? You know better. <laughs> However, I'm also sure that they both served as guards for that living faith that was deposited in Timothy's life. I'm sure that they were ones that fanned into flame all the giftings that was inside of Timothy's life. They were God's voice. They were prophets reminding Timothy of the prophetic words spoken over him, how God viewed him, what God wanted to accomplish through him. He was the man that he was because of the women that went before him, who loved him and cared for him and fought for him and fought with him. And of course, they weren't doing it alone. It was the Holy Spirit who helped guard that faith to bring it to full fruition. So mom, grandma, great-grandma, 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 whatever the Lord chooses to bless you with, you're not alone. 
whatever you are going through, the Holy Spirit is with you. In fact, there are times I believe that he grieves with you. His heart is broken with you. But he wants to encourage you and heal you. He wants to bring hope and encouragement. He wants to speak what he sees happening in your life. So allow him to do that. Allow him to strengthen you, to encourage you, to guide you as you impart your living faith, not only on your descendants, but also on those around you, your spiritual children. It's not an accident that you're where you're at in life. You may even think that it was your failures to put you where you're at in life, but God has a plan and a purpose. He's using it for good. You're right where you need to be. You are the person that you need to be. You have everything that you need to reach your full potential in Christ. So look for opportunities to just fan into flame those gifts of God in your children and their children and their children because you are making a far greater impact than you probably ever will realize in this world. So keep praying, keep believing, keep hoping, and keep looking for opportunities to pass along that living faith because today we honor and we celebrate you. And so right now I just want to take time to pray over you. So Jesus, I just thank you for every mother that is here in this building, every mother that is watching online who couldn't physically be here with us. Lord, I ask right now that you would just silence the voice of the accuser in their lives. That right now you would take up, Jesus, all of their shame and condemnation, all of their depression, all the oppression of the enemy, that, Lord, you would release healing and boldness and courage into their lives. That you would raise them up as mighty women of God to speak hope, to speak life, to speak your word into the lives of their spouses and their descendants and all those around them. That they would be called blessed wherever they're at in life. Not because they live a perfect life, but because their God picks them up and sweeps them off every time they fail and miss it. Lord, I pray that you would give them a persevering and enduring spirit. That, Lord, you would help them, just like the, the, the prodigal father did, help them to be ones to start fattening up that calf in faith, because my child coming home. Give them the faith and the courage and the boldness it takes to start believing again, to start hoping again. And the boldness and faith and courage it takes to be like, Lord, they're yours. I'm sorry for trying to take this into my own hands again. Jesus, they're yours. Your will, your way. On your time frame, Lord, not mine. Give them the boldness and courage to trust you with their children through these seasons. In your awesome, powerful name, the name above all names, Jesus. Jesus.